Welcome to Between the Gutters podcast. <laughs> this is Albert speaking, your co-host, and today I have with me... I'm Drew Tan, coming at you. Drew Tan, uh, and also with us today we have Alexander Shanus. Want to be Between Your Butters? Yeah, between the Butters, <laughs> that's that's our cooking podcast. And Zach I'll Hanna. something else, but okay. Zach? Yep, uh, guilty as charged, right here. <laughs> <laughs> so, today we are continuing our series on comic book recommendations to specific genres. Um, and we have decided, after going over science fiction, post-apocalyptic literature, or comics, um, fantasy, to continue, and our genre of today is going to be romance comics that's right that romance uh so just for those of you uh who are listening just so that we have a baseline of understanding i'm going to give you the wikipedia definition of what romance is which is a romance novel or romantic novel is a type of novel and genre fiction which places its primary focus on the relationship and romantic love between two people, and usually has an emotionally satisfying and optimistic ending. So, I just used that first sentence because it basically sums it up, and I'm pretty ignorant of romance in life anyways, so I'm going to have to take it on faith that the people of Wikipedia know what they're talking about. In addition to that, I, I am also keeping it somewhat vague because... For the purpose of this podcast, uh, for these recommendations, and for this uh, subject in particular, I do think it's good that we have a little bit of flexibility so that we can all kind of discuss choices and recommendations that reflect how we personally feel about romance and what it means to us. I think it's also worth pointing out in that same Wikipedia page right after that um, introduction to what it is, it literally says there are many sub-genres of the romance novel, including fantasy, historical romance, paranormal fiction, and science fiction, which I, I think are pretty funny because I wouldn't think of them as sub-genres, more so um, story approaches in which one can include um, romantic developments to progress a story or give a focus to um, the kind of story that one tells. Yeah. But the best part about that is, right here it says, romance novels are read primarily by women. <laughs> As though well, I, I just find it funny because it's like, it seems like almost like while it may be true, it seems almost like kind of an irrelevant thing to mention. I mean, yeah, you know what? It could be it could be viewed as something like a sexist comment, but statistically speaking, I believe that's accurate. Sure, I just think it's silly. To, I just it just seems like a standalone thing. Like, oh, and by the way, it's read primarily by women. I was gonna say these Wikipedia entries are for the most part written. It's by people, for people. So, hey, yeah. whatever context that, you know, whoever puts in. So, take from it what you will. And Shanice, you know, if you think it's too silly and irrelevant, you could update the Wikipedia page and remove it. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I could, but that takes more effort than I care for. And it, it amuses me, as it is. So, as Let me, ask, let me other... ask you guys a question first, though. Like, how... Have you guys ever read romance novels? I have not. I can't say that I've ever been drawn to anything 
at least in terms of literature that was exclusively romance? I would say I actually have. Okay. Don Quixote. That's a romance? Is I that would, a traditional romantic? It's not traditional, but I would still classify it as romance because Don Quixote gets absorbed in this fantasy aspect where he romanticizes the idea of being a knight, saving um, maidens and so forth, and like saving the princess. So while there's no central female focus until I think later on, like it is romantically driven in terms of like this, the romantic aspect of being a knight. Well, so I guess that's kind of an interesting thing that you bring up because um, I think in literature, there's supposed to be what, five different forms of romance or something like that? I, I would have no ask Drew, he's the literary master here. Drew? Five different okay. forms of romance, what do you mean by that? Um, from what I remember, uh, I would say it depends which one you go into. There's different yeah. kinds of loves. So there's like familial love, and then there's oh, love of you. country. There's uh, romantic love, and so when you mentioned Don Quixote, that is one could look at that as a form of love. It's a love of adventuring, I guess, and. It's or a romanticiz romanticization, romanticization of yeah. um, the era of the knights. Yeah. So I guess this goes back to the thing that I was saying earlier, which is, you know, uh, us, I, I, this podcast is purposely meant to be pretty loose in the sense that it gives each of us a chance to define what romance means to us. So, you know, anyone who's necessarily listening to this with the expectation that it's going to be just a straightforward recommendation about a boy meets girl sort of love story, um, you know, just hold on to your hats because that might not be what you get. I mean, to be fair, do any of us really have any proper experience with the romance? Oh. Let's move on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different podcast. <laughs> How I got all my sexually transmitted diseases. <laughs> Episode one. <laughs> I'll definitely say complex is not one of them. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> well, here's um, the thing with with romance as a genre, uh, because I think. Even though I've never read a straight, straight up, uh, you know, romance novel, I think we've all read stories that have romantic elements in them. And 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 in, in this sense, when I talk about romance and romantic elements, I'm I'm speaking strictly of you know like a love story element. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I guess when you get all literary and stuff, we can't think about romance in the sense of like the romance, the romance movement, like romanticism. Um, but that, that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. We're talking about exactly. like love stories. And exactly. That's, that's what we mean when we say romance. Yeah. Um, but even within that definition, there's a lot of wiggle yeah. room for interpretation. Sure. Sure. Because, because yeah. uh, not every story is the same. And, and when we, when we read stories in other genres, there's a lot of romantic elements or love stories within those stories. Uh, sometimes it's it's a major part of the story or the plot. Um, sometimes it's more of a minor element, but uh, 
I think, you know, when you consume enough stories, you're always gonna, you're eventually gonna experience a decent number of love stories within those larger stories. A lot um, of things overlap. Yeah, and I think knowing what each of our choices is, um, I'm not gonna spoil them yet, but since I already know what we've chosen, I, I would say that all of our choices do have the love story at the, as the core element of the story, um, even though they may fall into different subgenres or subcategories as well. But for the most part, not for the most part, for, for all of us, all of these choices, um, the main element is still the love story. That, that's the heart of the, of the story. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Do you see a distinction between the idea of calling something a love story versus something that's a romance story? Because does romance, because an alternate question would be like, does romance necessarily imply love? I don't, you know what? I think there's a way to make an argument that those are two different things. Because mm -hmm. you could tell a story about someone who's in a dedicated existing relationship and that's a story about love, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, presuming that they do, they're in it, out of love and not <laughs> obligation. Right. Um, but then there's also stories about someone romancing someone else and, you know, how people get to be in love or what it's like for them while they are in the throes of being in love or pursuing love. And I think you could make the claim that that is a romance story. And I would you know, if we're going to like just dice things down into their specific niches, then I could see how that could be different from a quote unquote love story. I mean, I also raise this question because there are people out there who simply enjoyed the experience of being romanced, but are not necessarily per se looking for a dedicated, loving life partner. They just like the idea of being in that moment yeah. and they Absolutely. just want that experience. Absolutely. That is a thing. I acknowledge that unlike the women that have yet to acknowledge my existence. <laughs> I was waiting for something. I was like, I was waiting. Next time on Between the Gutters, I'm going to cry in the shower for an hour straight. <laughs> man, this, this episode's getting too real for me, man. Can I watch? You want to watch Albert in the shower? No, crying in the shower. Huh. Uh, indeed. Albert, would you let him watch? I would not. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm very modest about my body. Like, I tend to shower with a wetsuit on. <laughs> <laughs> I never said you couldn't have, like, a closed door or something, you know? <laughs> I just want to be present between the sound of the water dropping and your tears hitting the ground. <laughs> I'll try Going to put back a microphone. to uh, the topic of, of uh, romance fiction, though. It feels like when we think of romance novels in the traditional sense, I always think about those books that I would see at, well, back when there were bookstores. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> the books that had those covers of, of like Fabio with his shirt off and his yes. hair flowing in the wind. That's exactly what I was thinking about earlier when um, I think it was you or, or Albert mentioned about um, where we, we might have seen like romance novels. And there, there was, they were hugely like, like, like even like a, at the back end of a Safeway where they have all that little book yeah. shelf section, so many of that was just like that cover, like yeah. the Fabio, the Adonis type of male figure. Yeah. Um, and 
because it sells to a certain demographic. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it, it's interesting. This kind of goes back to what you were mentioning earlier about how in Wikipedia it states as subgenres, you have fantasy and uh, science fiction and um, paranormal literature or whatever. Uh, we had a brief discussion before we started recording where we talked about why that's the case. And I do think that that's an interesting distinction to make. Uh, one of the things that I was mentioning was that I could see how there would be a science fiction story with elements of romance, but I think the reverse is also true where there yeah. is a story where the primary focus is the romantic aspect of it, but the science fiction elements or the fantasy elements or whatever aren't really quite front and center and they're really more of it's a more about the relationship yeah exactly yeah. it's more of an environment for the relationship to play itself out you know what you just made me think of albert you made me think of that movie from a couple of years ago i think it was called passengers yeah it was uh chris pratt and jennifer lawrence yeah yeah because yeah. because yeah. that's a movie that i just thought about when you were talking because it, it that one feels like a movie where the story was more of a it was kind of like a creepy romance because like <laughs> the, the, the dude that chris pratt played he was he was like the only guy to wake up on the ship i think the ship was on like everybody was in cryogenic uh cryogenic sleep or something and he he accidentally woke up because his machine was faulty and he's like walking around in the you know the cryo chambers and he sees this this chick and he's like oh I gotta have her, and he wakes her up. So now she's stuck with him on the ship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I was thinking more like, um, like war. The setting could be a, a fantasy setting, but the driven, the driving part of the story is the romantic. Yeah, aspect. I would think Shrek as a movie would be like an example of that kind of a story, where the setting is a fantasy setting, but the core of the story is about their eventual romance and unification. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get what you're saying when you, uh, what you were saying, Shane, is when you said that it wasn't necessarily a subgenre, but mm -hmm. you know, I do think that it's still an interesting point to bring up for the purpose of our podcast, just so, you know, listeners have food for thought. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it totally makes sense because romance isn't exclusive to just the modern era of our urban jungle romance has always been around in some fashion so and one could envision romance in a very bizarre strange future or amongst a world of aliens like it's fine you know mm -hmm. well i'm actually kind of glad that you raised that point shanice because earlier i was thinking um well i don't know if it really qualified but what if um something like say romeo and juliet or orpheus i mean with those kind of qualify as romance stories not necessarily novels but they're just uh more mythologically based sort of romance tales right i haven't I read would, orpheus but i think isn't definitely Romeo and Juliet considered it's a romantic tragedy i guess yeah yeah i'd say that counts as a romance for the purposes of our conversation yeah for sure because the the love story is the you know the driving element of the not just of the it's the impetus characters, of the but story. the plot too. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Romeo and Juliet. Like even I think Taming of the Shrew, I classify as a romance, but it's more like romance comedy. Or 
I, 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 I would, I, I forget what it is, but did Shakespeare write comedies or is there some other classification? Um, you wrote like comedies and tragedies. Yeah. yeah. But I think Taming of the Shrew was kind of like the very early, like proto romantic comedy. Yes. It was yeah. like a romantic satire thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he also did stuff like Twelfth Night. Yeah. Midsummer Night's Dream was, mm-hmm. I don't know if Midsummer Night's Dream was quite a romance, but it had that romance. Was, yeah, that was more of a, a comedy romance, or yeah, it was it was a, it was more of a comedy that had some elements of romance, but the romance wasn't the driving. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that that actually makes me think of um, in modern culture today how people generally consume, uh, you know, like romantic stories because, you know, we just, we were talking about romance novels and, and the Fabio covers and all that. I actually don't know anybody who's ever read any of those. I mean, but there's obviously an audience for them. I just don't personally know people who, who read them. But, but uh, when it comes to things like uh, ro- romantic movies, like uh, your romantic comedies or, or, um, I guess those are like the, yeah, I guess romantic comedies are probably like the main thing, or I guess there's romance, romantic movies as well. But like, that seems like the popular, the, like the way that a lot of people nowadays consume those kinds of stories. I would even add something um, like The Bachelor, which (laughs) I know it's weird because it's a reality show, but, and it all seems, you know, fabricated fake. and orchestrated and fake but yeah. 30 day fiance <laughs> yeah even that something like that. huh that's is a, that show. a real show that's a real show it's super popular it also has a spin-off too i think Dang. before 30 days fiance i think yeah. it's called. and that shows you how little i pay attention to reality tv i've never <laughs> even heard of that that just sounds ridiculous to me <laughs> yeah but the thing about it is i don't know like i there's a part of me that doubts that the people that watch it watch it sincerely or oh, the belief that sure. any of it is real. Have, have but, you ever seen, um, it was back in the late 90s through the early 2000s, mid-2000s, uh, Blind Date? I remember oh, that yeah. show. That, yeah, I, I that. watched it with a couple of friends because the ad-lib commentary they added on top of the dialogue yeah. it was hands down some of the best stuff. It's like, <laughs> that's exactly probably what they're thinking because that's what I'm thinking as they're saying these ridiculous, like, tacky lines to each other but then the thing that i was going to say was like the people that do watch the bachelor the people that are like really big fans of it like they take it pretty seriously i from what i remember i think there are people that do like drafts for the bachelor <laughs> the, the same way that you do the nfl draft or something like that you <laughs> like know fantasy sports yeah exactly like they they kind of draft out who they think is going to be the person that ends up you know <laughs> in the final relationship tier and again, I don't know if they like the 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 logical part of me wants to look at your average person and presumes that they don't look at it. They don't watch this with sincere feelings that uh, or the, the sincere belief that this is real. Yeah. But I think there's a certain amount of disbelief or a, sus- a suspension of belief that they put into it so that they can enjoy the romantic aspect of it. Even though it's really weird that you're having 25 women vie for the attention of one dude or 25 dudes vie for the attention of one chick. Like, how is that romantic? 
but <laughs> you know your average your people that are so into the idea of romance like if you told me that they found a way to again suspend their belief just so that they could enjoy it okay so again it goes back to like it may not seem romantic to have 25 people of one particular sex going after the focused main character of whatever that season's episode thing is but each individual interaction is tailored and sold to us as being a romantic expedition for those two people in that moment. Yeah, it's a competition, right? But it's, I think it's a creepy romance. And to yeah. echo that, uh, last night I watched an episode of Holy Moly, which was, it's an ABC production um, created by um, Steph Curry. Okay. And, it was a, and ABC did a cross-production with, with, with that and a, and a show, another show they do, I forget what the name was because I didn't care enough, but it's a dating show where people or singles try to find love or whatever it is. And the and so people compete head to head. Uh, it was guys versus guys, girls versus girls. And um, the last hole, the girl of all people said, "Okay, the loser has to give the winner a kiss." Okay, she's like, "He's like," and and the guy's like on the cheek, right? She's like, "Yeah, sure." And then later on, when they're both having a bad time getting it into into the hole, she's like, "All right, we both got dunked into the water." Um, let's make this, um, oh, she got to the water. She's like, fine, loser has to give the winner a kiss on the lips. And I'm thinking, you don't even know each other. And I understand this is broadcast television, so you're on camera, but isn't that just a little bit creepy or weird? Yeah. Well, I do think that romance is one of those weird genres, or not even genres, but it's a weird thing where under the right conditions, uh, things that are normally creepy could have a certain charm to it sure. and vice versa right it's just set up in context for that moment right yeah yeah it's like it's like walking up to a random woman in the street and just planting her lips on her yeah. i think you'd probably be punched in the face and then arrested for assault a hundred times out of a hundred times i would say don't do it <laughs> <laughs> good advice right? good advice yeah, yeah. but you know, there are people who enjoy the chase. There are people who enjoy... Uh, chasing. The effort. There are people who enjoy chasing. And, you know, it requires all of these individual elements to come together in order for it not to become sexual harassment. <laughs> <laughs> all those things have to work out in order for this not to become a record on someone's case. <laughs> I just say things that everything is sexual harassment, so I keep my hands to myself. Uh, that's, that is good advice. I, if, I, if anyone can walk away with anything in addition to our romance, uh, romantic romance is sexual harassment. today, it's advice for not being called a sexual harasser. <laughs> <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> da, 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 da. And then that star comes flying by. <laughs> for those of you who remember PSAs <laughs> um, yeah do you guys have any anything else uh, any other thoughts on, on romance as a concept do you guys tend to watch romance movies or romantic comedies and things of that nature so we say 10 like is this something that we'd see like maybe once or twice a year or something we try to gravitate to or are drawn to or something that if somebody says, Hey, this is, I think a good movie, but it's a romantic movie. Would we watch it? 
Yeah, either of those. Okay. Then then yes. Like I, I'm hands down a huge fan of Pretty Woman. And I think that's a classic romance movie. Okay, okay. Wow. I learned and something my, about my you today, Shainus. And my big here. fat Greek wedding is hilarious as well. Oh. And, but even though it's comedic in aspects, its focus really is on, on the romance between the woman and her and her fiance she's about to marry. Nice. Um, I was going to say that I went through, well, I was, was going to say a phase, but I'm, it's not really a phase. I There was a period of time where I was watching a lot of, I don't know if they were exclusively romance films, but like some of my favorite films had were films where the the romantic aspect of it was a large portion of it, at least 50 50% uh, of it. So like Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind is one hmm. of my favorites or as a go to uh, uh, days of 50 summer? Days of Summer. Oh, is it 50 oh, 500 days? days? 500 days, you're right. 500 okay. Days of Summer uh, is another one of my favorites. Um, what's another yeah, That's one? not creepy at all. I knew what was one of your favorite movies. That's a romance <laughs> movie. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that um, weird? Now that I think about it, <laughs> why did I say that? <laughs> you, you guys watch see, together while holding hands? We are co I didn't hold his hand, podcast. but I definitely watched that movie with Albert. <laughs> <laughs> That's I how I learned of that movie, dude. He was like, hey, check out this movie, man. It's one of my favorite movies. And I was like, okay, I'll watch it. So the so lights were dim. It was just two of you sitting on the couch. I think there were a bunch, several of us in the room. Yeah. So it wasn't just me and It him. wasn't just Albert yeah. and me. There were other that people there, too. That would have been unacceptable for me. Okay. <laughs> there, there was at least one other guy there. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, and another movie that I love is uh, Solaris, which... Yeah, it's another weird uh, mishmash of genres, but I would say the love story is a huge aspect of it. The, the other thing that I wanted to mention is I did go through a period where I was watching a lot of romance animes. Oh, okay. I, I, is that what you I, call hentai? No, not in... that is There is nothing romantic about that in the slightest. It, that's, that's awful. <laughs> but I was going to say, um, yeah, there... One of my favorite animes was Kimagura Orange Road. Uh, that was like one of my first exposures to anime, right. and that was that's a pretty it's a it's an anime series about a guy with psychic powers. But really, what it boils down to is it's a love triangle, and it's a guy trying to figure out which which person that he wants to be with. It's um, a classic of the '80s. Classic of the '80s, and even now there are quite a few like romance animes that I have in my collection. Like I just watched Tamako love story and I love that. That was a great romance movie mm -hmm. or love movie, I guess. Speaking of, of romance or love based animes, wasn't cherry, cherry blossom. The one that we saw drew a few months five ago? centimeters per second, five centimeters per second. Yeah. I think that would almost classify, right? Yeah, totally, man. I'd also yeah. say stuff like your name or uh, whether your name you. is definitely one. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's um, funny that I watched those with Shanus. <laughs> 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 Why did I say that out loud? <laughs> and we were sitting on the couch, and it was you were, <laughs> but we were not holding hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I think in in terms of manga and anime, there's there's a lot more romance 
there than there are romantic comics or purely romantic comic books here. It feels like it's a bigger genre over there than it is. Yeah, I mean, with manga, because manga is not dominated by superheroes, you get all sorts of genres. So there's a lot of manga that's created by and for different audiences. So for sure, there's plenty of romance and, you know, science fiction, fantasy, horror, slice of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all sorts. Cool. What about you, Zach? I was going to add Illusionist to the list of movies as romance movies. Which movie? The Illusionist. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, so Zach, you've seen that and you liked it? Yeah, I have seen The Illusionist. That was pretty interesting. Um, well, let's get that confused with Prestige. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, they came are... out at the same yes, time. Yes, They yes. came out at the same time, so... They're both, they're both really good, though. They're both really good in their own right. Um, as far as you know, it being a thing or like habitually watching, like for the most part, no, that kind of thing really just doesn't interest me. It's not really my thing. Um, I have seen a couple of the animes you guys were talking about. Uh, my name and- um, Your name. What was, your name, your name, sorry. And then uh, five centimeters per second. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, which was gorgeous. It was awesome. The anime or the animation is incredible. Like story is good. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's just just a really quality piece of work. Um, as far as movies are concerned, not really. I don't. Does uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind count? I, think, I would say so. I think so. Yeah, it's kind of a romance. I mean, that's yeah. a really good one that I can think of that I've seen. Um, for the most part, yeah, actually, no, I, I don't really get into those things too much. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's funny. Like I would even almost say, like, Kill Bill is I think driven by a love story, although it's not a romance story. Right? It's really a love about a mother and her daughter she didn't really get a chance to raise. But there yeah. are elements of romance built into that as well because it deals with the father of the daughter and so forth. It's familial love. There's, yeah, it's, it's a little both, but primarily driven by familial love. Um, but like it's funny. It's like even though I don't tend to watch romance-based movies, I think primarily it's because anytime you see something like that come out for solicitations or trailers, it's tailored for a certain type of approach that just doesn't jive with my desire for storytelling. And even though I don't tend to watch them, I wouldn't mind. In fact, I would like to see better romance movies put out there because there are a lot of great themes and things one can do with the context of romance as, as a driving force for a story. I just don't, I just wish they were better done and just I don't see too many that I think carry the story elements that I would say I would be willing to sit through this and call this a good story or good movie to watch. Another like idea or another uh, film that I was thinking of was uh, Moulin Rouge. Like that might, that's definitely more on the conventional side, but you know, that's something that I enjoyed. But, yeah, I, I could never get into that one though. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, my mom, my mom really loves that one, but both my brother and I cannot sit through it. Like, I just can't. Well, but that's, I mean, that's, that's why I do think that there's, this is going to be an interesting podcast, just because it's, we're, we're broaching, reaching, broaching, uh, a topic that I think means something different to each of us well not necessarily means but it's something that we interpret in different ways 
So it'll be interesting to see what each of us recommends and why we recommend it. And our picks all represent our sensibilities and to a certain degree, even our personalities. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I do think for like listeners who, who want a pretty wide spectrum of romance stories to choose from, I, I, I'd like to think that this is going to give our listeners a lot of possibilities. Yep. Okay, so, guys, got anything else or any other thoughts? I was going to say, if you guys are ready, let's dive into the recommendations. Sounds All right. Good yeah, yeah, let's do it. Uh, first, first out of the hatch today is the man, the myth, the legend, Alexander Shanus. Sweet. I don't know. Your recommendation, my dude. Uh, So a little, a little backstory on my choice for today. I had initially selected um, the, I guess it was a six issue miniseries called Marvel, part of a Marvel Redux um, title. I think it came out what 2005 or so. I think so. Maybe 2005 um, or 2006. Yeah. And they took, I think, previous stories that Marvel published that were romance based and um, creative teams read, say redub the dialogue and, and stuff and even altered some of the, the art elements. Like I think one involved um, dupe in them. And took a, yeah, it took a bunch of older stuff from the silver age, I think like, yeah. or maybe even golden age too. Just, well, no, I think it was like stuff from like the early sixties maybe where the, yeah. Back when they used to have more romance comics, Marvel took a bunch of those and and just yeah, they redubbed them. Yeah, and they were they were all actually pretty funny. Like, I don't think there was any real straight faced romance in those reduxes. Um, so that's what I wanted to talk about. But for those who don't know, I have a lot of my stuff in storage units, um, which all be organized is really hard to always access because depending on where I put it in the storage, you can find a whole bunch of boxes. So I had a backup option and a third option. Um, and um, the backup option, which is um, Kill My Boyfriend uh, by Grant Morrison, published under Vertigo, I thought I could get to fairly easily because I thought it was closer to the front of where I keep my stuff. And I was worried that I may not get into that. And so a couple of days, even up to a day before um, doing all this, Drew texted me a bunch of various titles of what could be classified as romance stories. And I didn't, I didn't send Drew this message, but I really want to tell him like, hey, you can stop sending this me stuff. The issue isn't that, isn't, the issue wasn't that I didn't, um, I didn't know, I didn't have something to talk about. The issue was trying to get to the stories to physically <laughs> read to talk about them. Um, so I was at my storage yesterday and it was about to close in about 20 minutes and I was like, all right, let me just see what I can find here. And I literally went to the box where I thought killing boyfriend would have been and kill your boyfriend. Um, but instead I found, I, I did, I did, I did a second take cause there's, there's gotta be something in here. And I saw on the spine new romancer and I said, nothing says romance more than the word romance, in the title of the story. So I just plucked it out, said, well, this is my choice, and it's written by Peter Milligan, who's one of my favorite writers, and who does really bizarre, strange stuff. So I'm like, right up my alley. So it's going to be both strange and hilarious. So I went with it, and that's what I'm going to be talking about today, is New, Ram- New Romancer by Peter Milligan, um, with, I think, the, the penciler is Brett Parson, and 
and and the inker's Brian Miller. I I always forget which shows up first. Um, oh, I think they switched off. I think the first issue was by Brett Parson, and then it was Brian Miller for the last um, five issues. Really? Brett, oh, I didn't notice that there was a different artist. Oh, sorry, for colorists. Brett Parson was the main artist, but they switched off colorists after the first issue. Oh, okay. Um, and so New Romancer, the title of this, I have the graphic novel, is actually the name of this little fledgling um, online dating company. Um, and this book, I think, was published in 2016. Yeah, I have the issues, and the first issue has the cover date of February 2016. So, um, so for some context, um, there's a huge rise in online dating websites between the years of 2011 through 2014. So I think this was in response to seeing this rising tide of online dating services and so forth. Um, and it's actually set in the Bay Area, primarily Silicon Valley, but it has scenes of our lovely Golden Gate Bridge. So some things do happen in San Francisco. And it rolls around a main character whose name is Lexi or Alexia, uh, who is a bonafide genius effectively, uh, but her resources go into really programming with an obsession for like classical romance. She's obsessed with like the 1800s like style of romance um, through poets like Lord Byron, um, characters like Casanova and so forth. And it's because she was a weird, quote unquote, weird kid growing up who had no friends because she didn't go to school normally. She was, um, you could say, homeschooled by her father all, and mother, but primarily her father. All be, the homeschooling seems to be partly um, driven by a experiment he did on her, where he what's called a biofeedback of information. So he would train her mind, quote unquote, I guess, biologically and digitally. So she had no friends, and so her friends ended up being um, the characters or the voices of these romantic poems and other types of stories. And what happens is she is trying to design a, a, a high-level artificial intelligence and through that create various um, fake profiles on their website that embody the persona, the personas of these various um, 1800s romantic characters, not early 1900s. And something she does, there's a huge surge and some something triggers where it brings these artificial intelligence actually to life in the sense that they start um, auto-operating and they get kind of surged into um, bodies that are sitting in the basement of this um, other tech company, which she used to work for, and this all ties in at some point. But lo and behold, one of, those, one of those bodies ends up taking on the persona of Lord Byron. He ends up running around the Bay Area in San Francisco, like just trying to be himself in a modern world and trying to adjust to women who are aggressive and take initiative and are no longer the, the dainty ladies that he has to romance and uh, woo. They, they, are, they have their own sense of, of, of what they want and so forth. Uh, but what makes this great is that it's, it really treats it more as, I think, more romance story than a love story. Um, even though by the end, the goal, the, not the, I won't say the goal, but at the end, there is a love aspect of it. 
it's purely driven on this idea of like she just wants people to experience romance her whole angle she says it multiple times is i want people to find romance i want to take two it wasn't the phrase uh i have to find it but i was like two unsuspecting or two unlikely people and like just and kind of show them and like just put them together and of course you, you kind of see examples of various of a couple of people going on very strange dates um one guy apparently bought um casanova's mummified pe penis from somebody and he showed it off to his date who herself is kind of whacking crazy and it really does kind of highlight the idea of like what online dating is which is it's just a bunch of crazy people who just need to express their individual sense of what romance is even though most of us would just scratch our heads and be like, um, can I get a restraining order on you right now? So it, it follows the adventures of her colliding with Lord Byron as she tries to investigate what happened with the surge. And then there's literally a Casanova character that's um, trying to, he's like a, a, a love vampire. He'll literally suck and kiss the love and out of people so that he can live and enjoy things vicariously. Um, there's also a character, Matahari, who joins the fray. Um, but overall, it's just like this collision of, of randomness and, and bizarreness. But it really, for me, it really hit the nail on the head of like, yes, this is the Bay Area. There is this one scene where um, the Lord Byron character try to promote the new romancer site is like, is like going these like speed dates with different women. And these get progressively more and more bizarre where the first one looks like normally dressed, everything else, she's on her phone. And her first comment is, so sell me on why I should pursue something with you because the dating app I have on says that nearby me, there are six other um, sexually viable men I can go with. <laughs> so her opening comment is like how she can just find six guys she can have sex with, but she's trying to have this guy convince her that she, he's worth going for the long haul. So there's this, so that it kind of creates a sense of, um, which you actually do encounter if you in if you're dating in the Bay Area, the sense of dual interest of like I can have sex with who I want, but you have to sell me on why I should date you more seriously. So it's like you have to put in the effort right now. Otherwise, I'm just going to have fun with somebody else who has put no effort whatsoever into all of this. And then you get like the 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 hardcore um, embodiment of like I guess a femin feminist or feminazi as you want to call them like. Like, just like, I don't want love or I don't want sex. I don't want this. I want that. I want you to like this, like this whole role of roles of like, now they dictate everything. Like they has gone to the extreme of like, it's not even about balance or communication. It's about like, we're all just out there because of what we want. And we don't really care what the other person really wants. Um, and, and oddly enough, that's what people think is romance these days. It's about getting what they want out of that dynamic with the other person. And Peter Milligan does a really great job of, of, of upping that sense to the point where it, it really does shine as being absurd, but absurd to the point where you're just like, I just, I'm, I'm just laughing my ass off reading all this because it's like so accurate, but so, just at the same time, it's so bizarre. And it is definitely so San Francisco in the area. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's, it's almost like a, a uh, satire of, uh, of real life and like a commentary on modern uh, dating habits and especially uh, online dating. Yes, and and also like the owner of the new romancer website, Raj, he is from India and he's apparently engaged, supposed to marry this girl, but he doesn't bring her here yet because 
his business is going under, it's not doing very well, and he doesn't want to go to India and say, hey, look, um, I really have nothing going for me right now. Um, would you want to marry me? Like, why would you still want to be with me? Like, he has to prove himself. And he's saying how his fiance's mother would probably beat him up if he didn't have, like, livelihood, didn't have something to prove his worth, so to speak. So he does touch upon also, like, the, the, the sense of the cultural um, views of what does it mean to be romantic? Does that also mean to be kind of, um, and the impression is like it's not clear that he met this one and they were dating, or it was a setup, a, a setup marriage, where like that's this that's the culture that, and he was willing to marry her, but he didn't want to embarrass himself for his time by having nothing to show for going to this marriage. So you kind of just see this interesting like culture perspective because when she does finally come, she also brings with her 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 cow, and for those who don't know, cows are um, important. Um, creatures in Indian culture, they're, I think, at the level of deities. Like, they, they, most Indians do not eat cow. It's, it's a sacred beast for them. Um, but it was just, it, I just thought it was just really funny how he's just highlighting, like, there, there really are these different cultural aspects and there's everybody's just colliding and just nobody knows what romance is, let alone, like, it's like, let alone forget love. Nobody even knows what it means to romance somebody anymore. We just all have our bizarre notion and it's all selfishly, selfishly driven by like what we perceive should be romance what we want out of it like i said earlier um but turns out this all kind of connects because her former company um was owned by a guy who used to work with her dad who then stole his technology when her dad went to prison because of what they what they found out he was quote unquote doing his to his daughter which really wasn't really anything terrible he was just trying to explore a, an experiment to um enrich her intelligence and so forth so he wasn't a monster. He really loved her, but there's this hint where she has flashbacks to him and his and her mother calling them. Look at this little monster we created, and she finds out later on that she wasn't even naturally born by them. That she was kind of like um, created out of like um, an egg and sperm collision that they did outside of that. What do you mean, like so, artificial insemination? Artificial insemination, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's. It's, it's all just very, very strange, um, very fun, and, but also at the, at the heart of it, very heartwarming because she's just looking for something meaningful in her life. And in, and in her journey, even early on, you know, though she's romanticized this, this idea of what, who Lord Byron is, she knows his history. She, um, and so from, back, so from background, um, characters like Lord Byron and Casanova, they, Lord Byron actually is a real person. And I think Casanova himself might have been a... In a some resemblance to a real person, but Lord Byron actually was a real person. And the other part that connects with this is that he did have a daughter whose name was Ada, Ada Lovelace, who is actually known as the first computer programmer. She was the one who realized, wrote the first algorithm back in the 1800s and realized the idea that you could, you could instruct machines to do more than just compute numbers. She had the first idea that you could teach them a set of organized orderly tasks, which was what all programming is, is us putting, a set of instructions in a fashion that can be translated and be executed. Um, so apparently Ada Lovelace was the only legitimate daughter that Lord Byron had. And he abandoned her after four months of being married to that, to his wife that he had with her. Um, so that's all touched upon in the story. And, and so it connects both on the computer programming part, it connects on the romance part. So Peter Milligan did a really fine job of like, kind of like, throwing all these really nice connections in there and weaving all this really cool um, stuff that 
I only knew about because I have a background in programming and mathematics. So I knew that Ada Lovelace was a mathematician from the 1800s. So I knew a little bit of her backstory. I just didn't know that her father was Lord Byron, the famous romantic poet. Um, um, so it was, it was, it's an interesting like thing because, um, I don't know, I guess it appealed to, to the mathematician side of me and the, uh, the idea of like getting a little bit of actual history thrown into what seems to be like an otherwise bizarre tale of fiction. Uh, but everything turns out well in the end. Everybody finds their, their sense of love and they grow and develop. Uh, Lexi realizes that it's, it's really not about having a romant, romantized notion of romance. I think she realizes that it's just about being yourself and just looking for the thing that clicks with you, that makes you happy, that kind of allows you to connect to another person. And Lord Byron himself um, realizes through this modern perspective that is isn't about just women being a target and being helpless and they need to be rescued or wooed or, or fed um, tacky lines to feel special. It's about action speak louder than words and the action of a person, not what they say is what's important. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I can definitely see why, even though you said you kind of like stumbled upon this choice by accident when you were looking for another comic, I, I can definitely see how this story uh, appeals to, to your sensibilities, man. Oh, for sure. It's, it's, I would say things happen for a reason. I'm, I'm much happier actually, we're talking about New Romancer, having read it and, re and remembered, oh yeah, it talks about Ada Lovelace and a little <laughs> bit of literary history and, you know, so it's like, and it, it takes place in the Bay Area, which is my home, so. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it's been a while since I've read this comic because cause I, I got it, um, I got the issues back when it came out. And uh, so I, it, it's been a few years for me. I, I remember like the, the whole thing about Lord Byron coming back from the dead and the online dating aspects of it. But a lot of the, the details were uh, lost in my memory until you just um, shared the story again with us. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of really fun stuff. Like there's even like a secondary character. Her name is Mong, and she she built a fembot. Um, if you ever seen Austin Powers, that's literally what it is. It's a robot with a female skin cover over it, who she um, sets up with with um, on dates with with married men, usually like more affluent men, who are who just want to cheat on their wives for other reasons. So. The, the assumption is that they are dating and having sex with this female robot thing. Um, I don't necessarily know if they're aware that it's a robot, um, but she's the one who embodies the Matahari character and she turns into a feminist and um, reveals wh why she exists and it pisses off all these men who's like, well, she's told our wives everything because that's what, she, that's what the fembot did. Um, and so they, they're angry at Mong and your romancer for for getting them into trouble with their wives. <laughs> and it, it, is, it is that funny because they're so single-minded of like saying, of like, it's not that they were sorry they cheated, it's they're mad because their wives found out. Yeah. Yeah, this is, oh, were you gonna say something, Albert? Uh, no, finish your thought and like, mine's is, yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, there's definitely some uh, pretty scathing commentary on modern romance. Mm. Yeah. It's um, I so I I haven't read this one, so it's pretty new to me. But the way that 
you describe it does remind me of another like traditional love movie that I I didn't mention earlier, uh, uh, which was Love Actually. I don't know if either of you guys have ever seen it, but I haven't seen it. It's kind of a it's an anthology movie, sort of where it, you know you have a bunch of different characters, and then it's really about all the various forms of love and how all their stories uh, express this love. So I like I don't know. If, you know, the new romancers is exactly like that because it does sound like there are a lot of characters and it also sounds like it's got more to say and more commentary about love as a general idea and, you know, just modern dating and modern romance. Um, yeah, but... Good question for you, Albert. In love, actually, are the different anthology stories connected or is it just four sub-stories within the context of the whole movie? uh eventually so eventually you find throughout the course of the movie you find that they all exist in the same world so they're all passing through each other's lives but they they don't don't know each other necessarily not necessarily and it isn't until the end where um the beginning of the movie talks about uh, when the movie opens they they open by talking about um love as a general concept and you have a narrator talking about Heathrow Airport and how you know if you want proof that love exists just go to Heathrow Airport because whenever you're you're there you see people coming and people going and it's their uh what what greater expression of love is there than to you know welcome someone from somewhere uh, welcome someone from somewhere else uh into your life or to say goodbye to someone as they're leaving you know so uh, the end of the movie comes back around to that point where um, we, we, the story ends at the airport and you see all of our characters uh, culminating there because apparently they, they were all on the same flight or something, you know, mm. and uh, you, you just see where, where they are now, um, now that they've had their uh, respective realizations. The ending, I would say, almost has resonating sense with New Rancer, but with New Rancer, really does follow Lexi and Lord Byron primarily. Okay. And it just, it just has other characters who they actually do know up front in the beginning of the story. Like, it's about her and her New Rancer um, group of people that she works with, her old company that she used to work for, and Angel Bufort, um, who's the, the primary antagonist. Um, so it's not like des- disparate stories and people colliding eventually. It's, it, yeah. it, is, it really does focus on story, but it has certain other side characters that get awakened, so to speak, and then come more to the picture, including her father again later on. Okay, okay. Um, and okay. also, I, I should mention that the art is also um, really beautifully done. They're, it's both realistic, but, but kind of also cartoony which mm-hmm. is what gives that sense that the story a bit more of that um that hyper sense of like okay this this is really meant to be um like a a comedy of 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 of, of bizarreness mm-hmm. like there's literally a scene of lexi sho- shoving casanova's mummified penis 
into Casanova's um, left eye. <laughs> like she's stabbing him. She stabs him. And it's like, okay, yeah, this is the thing that can happen in a Milligan comic. Yeah, Brett Parson is a, an artist that I'm not too familiar with. This is the only thing of his that I know about. Um, I did look him up just to see what other credits he had to his name. And at first I actually thought he was, he was British because his style kind of reminds me of, of like Philip Bond or, or uh, I don't know, you, you can even see a little bit of uh, a Jamie Hewlett influence. But I looked him up on his website and, and he's American, I think, uh, lives in Massachusetts, but he has worked on Tank Girl. So oh. that's the kind of uh, vibe that he gives. Like, like Shana said, everything's, everything he draws is, has this, uh, it's almost like an animated look in a sense where he has a, a really defined style of, of drawing um, his people and, and they're just so expressive, but they're never expressive in a way where he has to um, overcompensate by, um, you know, going even more cartoony. It's like they're already drawn in this car kind of cartoony state and the expressions that he gives them, it's, it's almost kind of like a, it reminds me a little bit of, of a manga in a, in a way, except uh, maybe more restrained. Um, and, and like, it's got this British style to it. That's, that's all I can think of in terms of like how to describe how it looks. And also, as strange as it means to comment on this, like I like the fact that he draws the woman differently. Like, it, maybe this is not a fair statement to make, but. I would almost expect somebody trying to do a romance story trying to sell people on like, you can clearly see why he's so drawn to this girl because she has big bosoms. But he draws all the girls with 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 average different sized um, bosoms to the point that's like he's saying like, this is a different array of characters in the story. Like it doesn't have to be just like the 90s style of art where if you draw every female character with with big boobs to draw attention to the fact that this is why the guy is drawn to them. Like so I like the fact that he gives it that sense of like, I don't know, differentiation. Yeah, his his body types are realistic, and he doesn't draw hypersexualized characters or anything. You know, they just they they just look like real people. Like yeah, I, I think I think it's one of those things where I want to say the art leans more on the cartoony side, but in a in in other ways, it's realistic because of his approach to to the style, like his. Like I, like I was saying, the aesthetics of how he draws people, they, they just look like real people. They're not hypersexualized. They're not all ridiculously um, attractive or anything. They just look like people, like normal people. <laughs> yeah, I found, the, I found the page where he is being set up on these blind dates. Um, the first one is literally like a blonde girl who looks absolutely normal. And she says, my phone says I've got six prospective sexual partners within 400 yards. So tell me about yourself. Are you a quick fuck or a keeper? <laughs> and then the one for that is after I was fat shamed on fate book, I almost killed myself. Instead, I lost weight and got a nose job. Jeez. So the idea is like, there's also the group of people who have huge self image issues that they physically alter themselves to appeal to what they perceive to be a vision of beauty. And that's all I'll say on that. Like, there's a whole commentary we could talk about, like, what self-image is, the idea of, of a healthy body, but that's not the point here. Is that this person really 
probably is went through some sort of psychological like hell so that she could feel wanted or desired by somebody. And I think not realizing that by kind of embodying this fake sense of herself physically, it makes her less desirable to people who are looking for authenticity and, and a healthy minded person. Mm-hmm. Then the one for that is, do you know what it's like being a woman trapped inside a man's body? So I, th- and I think with the way he drew that third lady, I think the intent was it's supposed to be a man who's wearing a wig and has a stuffed bra. And then the next one is like this punk girl with green, bluey hair, um, blue lipstick, um, kind of emo or goth, I can't really tell. I'm just go with punk saying, I'm not interested in a physical relationship. The idea of sex repulses me. I'm also lactose intolerant. <laughs> and that last bit is actually a really funny thing because it's like, um, as subtle as it is, dietary um, specifications are a huge issue in Bay Area dating. Like the number of people, the number of women or even men these days who are like, oh, I'm vegan or vegetarian and I won't date anybody who eats meat or has ever eaten meat or thinks killing animals is okay. It's like, you have that group of people there too. <laughs> and then after that, this um, bigger lady who's just smiling and grinning as she's saying, clearly she said something beforehand and finishes off with penetrative oral and bodily fluids. <laughs> Indicating that she's just all gung ho about like just just let's let's break some beds and let's do it the nasty style, and then there's who I call probably the feminazi. She's got like the the mohawk and pink hair, the nose piercings, the chain from her nose to her ear, another chain and, and a cigarette out of her ear there, another chain on her neck, the military jacket, um, and so she's like, "Fuck me over and I'll break your teeth in the <laughs> nicest possible way." And this guy is just sitting there looking at them like forlorn and, and just like, like saying, what, what is this world I'm in? Like, he's like completely like out of his depth here. But Peter Milligan does a great job of embodying and depicting the different types of people you encounter when you date in the Bay Area. And it's, and I, would, I would say from personal experience that it's actually fairly accurate. Yikes. Wow. Um, me and you have very different dating histories, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so sometimes you have to find out things that people ask you on the, on, the, on the first date with them, and you're like, oh, uh, okay. <sighs> and that's not something you told me about before. And so you like you catalog that, and you're like the catalog says, okay, just say thanks for tonight. I will never talk to you again. <laughs> All right. Any any other thoughts? No, other than that, it's just it's it's got robots. It's got math. It's <laughs> got ghosts. Okay. It's got it's it's got action. It's got some seriously great action panel scenes. Like, it, it reads like a movie. Like, it really just, it, it takes its moments where it needs to, but for the most part, it's just nonstop chaos. Okay. And, and if anything, that's, that's kind of why I'd call this. It's, it's romance driven by this perspective. Of, like, romance is chaotic collision. It's two people, two random people really 
don't make any sense being together. So the fact that two people can even get together itself is kind of like a miracle. I think that's a good way to put it. Like, that's... It is randomness and chaos. I think that's a pretty good way to put it. All right. So we're going to move on right along. Um, next up, what you got for us, Albert? All right. I'm next. My recommendation for a romance comic would be Alex plus Ada. Uh, the creative that's team. Not me. Uh no, that is Alexander Shanus plus Ada Lovelace. <laughs> that would be that would probably be interesting dream come true. This is it's actually weird how much uh, weird little things had in common it had as in common with your uh, with your pick. But anyways, so it's Alex plus Ada. The creative team is uh, Jonathan Luna and Sarah Vaughn. Uh, it was originally published from November 2013 to June 2015, and it was published by Image Comics. Uh, I'm going to give you a brief, or as brief as I can make it, uh, synopses of the plot. Um, it takes place in the not-too-distant future. Uh, the world in the story is one where technological progress has advanced to the point where uh, well-to-do people can each buy their own robot companion. Um, Though through context, we see that this technology has been around for, for some time. It's not quite in its first generation. So, so, their society, so their society has gone through a few iterations of the technology. Um, it's kind of like, like smartphones are to us now. Like we, it was new and impressive when it first came out, but nowhere near as advanced as what we have at this point. Um, um, so since we've already had it for quite some time. Um, hold up, let me drop my notes here. So uh, our main character is Alex. He is a young man who is depressed after his fiance breaks up with him. Tired of seeing him unhappy, Alex's grandmother sends him Ada a Tanaka X5 android, which is capable of intelligent human interaction. The robot is initially incapable of self-awareness as each android has a program that blocks any potential free thought or consciousness. Alex decides to remove this program and grant, and grant Ada her own mental freedom as he is uninterested in a partner who cannot truly interact with him. Because removing the program is illegal and carries harsh consequences for both Ada and Alex, they have to pretend Ada is not self-aware. When a jealous love interest of Alex reports Ada as sentient to the FBI, Alex and Ada attempt to flee the country. So, um, so it's it's a story that's got a lot. There's a lot going on there, and um, you know, it's. I guess you can describe it as forbidden love on. Uh, yeah, I guess you can describe it as forbidden love. Um, I want to go into why why it appeals to me and why I chose it as my romance comic. So there's a lot about this comic that might be interpreted as um, as extra focus on progressivism, quote unquote, or social justice uh, orientation. But I'm not normally the kind of person that uses uh, the term social justice in a derisive way. 
Um, there are a lot of things that are built into their world and history that mirrors a lot of our history um, in in the United States. So, like the first thought of that comes to me is because of the way that their relationship is forbidden. It's you know essentially a man with an artificially intelligent being. Um, android yeah an android there's there's lots of parallels to things like the stonewall uprising which was you know the first um which was kind of a watershed moment for uh gay rights uh when the cops were basically went to a bar in new york and just rounded up a bunch of gay people for being gay um but that you know, so I'm giving you all this context, but uh, I'm I'm giving it all to you in order to let you know that I'm not, I don't recommend this book because you know it's quote unquote progressive, or you know because it's, uh, it it because it's or because it's this book that uh, shows you know how open-minded uh, its readers or its creators are. Um, whatever my view, my own like personal views might be, they usually don't, uh, they don't, they usually don't affect why I read something or why I enjoy something. Um, when I, when I do recommend a book, it is because it is convincing. Um, and because the world building is convincing and because the emotions are sincere and they're genuine. So I will say that Jonathan Luna and Sarah Vaughn did, did the work of building an authentic feeling world with a real history and they paced it out in a way over the course of 15 issues in a way that felt organic and not just to get the information out so that they could show off how open-minded they were. Um, one of the things that I wanted to point out is whenever I talk about this comic, whenever I recommend it to people, I'm fully aware of, um, I'm always aware of how bizarre that idea is. The, pre the premise, uh, when, especially when I give it in brief, um, because it's essentially a man who's in love with a robot or, and a robot who's capable of loving him back. And it's, when you just give a brief description of it to someone, it, it sounds weird. And in some cases it might even be cringy. Um, uh, but, but I'm always aware that in comics and in stories, there, there isn't any reason that the idea of a man falling in love with an artificial personality should be any less plausible than a Spider-Man. Um, you know, you have something like Scarlet Witch in the Avengers, and she fell in love with the Vision, who is a synthesoid, which is essentially an artificial life form. So there isn't any reason that a story like this shouldn't exist. Um, and I do think that the way that Jonathan and Sarah Vaughan, Jonathan Luna and Sarah Vaughan wrote it, the the emotions they they communicate are real. Like I I genuinely believe or at the very least, I want to believe that these two characters really do have feelings for each other and they care about each other 
and even though their love is forbidden they they want it to succeed and you as the reader or at least me i as the reader want them to succeed so um yeah it's it's a 15 issue comic and there's there's a lot of stuff that it covers you know it's um if you really want to view all the yeah oh i was gonna ask do you think that there are people who read a story like this and want them to fail in their relationship Certainly. I don't discount that. Okay. Okay. There are, there are like some salty people out in the world. So yeah, they're, they're like, I have no reason to pretend or to assume that there isn't someone who read, but I could also presume that there are, are a lot of people who watch or read any kind of romance, whether it be with a robot or with another human being, and they just hope for it to fail. Yeah. So, you know, there are also people who, who probably pick it up, read it, start reading, and like, who wants a story about a person trying to love a robot type thing? Like, they'd be like, this is just a ridiculous concept. This is going to be a terrible story. And like, they just put it down and disqualify it on its nature of being ridiculous. I think there are um, a lot of people who actually, if, if I was to give them that, the brief synopsis of the story, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot of people who take that on its face and in it of itself find that to be enough for them not to read it because it just sounds, it sounds like the weirdest, it sounds like the weirdest, like nerdiest sort of, uh, the, the perfect nerd's dream come true of what a romance story is supposed to be like, right? It's like, my girlfriend is a robot that yeah, does everything that I want it. her to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And, I think if they, if Jonathan Luna and Sarah Vaughn were poor writers, that is certainly how that would come off. But like I said, the, they took 15 issues to build their world. And um, I mentioned earlier that the technology in the world isn't super advanced. So it's not like they've had artificial intelligences that are fully aware and have fully functioning personalities are and are able to interact uh the the time period in this world of theirs they are right on the cusp of that period of time where artificial intelligence is beginning to gain some form of sentience mm -hmm. so um and and there's constantly this uh this shadow of this tragedy that hangs over them because in their history uh, a couple of decades earlier, the earliest forms of uh, artificial life, there there was something that happened where one there was an instance where an artificial life form went and killed a bunch of people. I think so. They're they're constantly living with the fear that it could happen again. And I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's funny because it's like every time a new life is born, you have that question back in your mind. Will my child grow up to kill 500 people in a rage of, of violence? If I trained them right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so it's like, so it's like well, I mean, the difference of course is people will argue that, well, if you built a machine to do that, then you are held responsible for what your machine does because you yeah. gave that, that instruction. But if your child grows up and does that, even if you raise the child to think that way, once they, once they turn 18, you as a parent are no longer responsible for their actions. 
Yeah. Well, um, morally I, responsible. Well, I, I don't know. Even know. I mean, you you carry the moral, the social moral responsibility, but you won't have any legal responsibility to be to be held punishable by the courts because you train your person to think that everything is so worthless that when they turn eighteen, they yeah. just point their gun and kill as many people as they can or whatever. You know. Yeah. Um, but I want to touch on something you said earlier about how like you don't promote story, you don't promote things on a social justice perspective. So what, as from what I'm understanding is that this is a woke story, just that this creative team takes a perspective that promotes more of a progressive attitude, at least in the way they tell a story and how they, how it seems like they feel about these attitudes of what romance and relationships are. I would say that there's an inter- interpretation of that where you can read this and there's, and I've, I've read, comics other comics by Sarah Vaughn since then so I I think it's fair to say that um, those are beliefs and views that she holds but I don't I never felt while I was reading it like I was being beat over the head by it and it's not, not shoehorned in there she's not it, trying it to convince you or silly that this is what your viewpoint should be yeah it like they established it as these are the rules of our world and this is why their relationship is mm-hmm. uh, frowned upon. But that being said, you know, that's, that's all that you need to know is that this is what the, these are the established parameters of their world. And this, it's the story of how they are existing in this world. And, and I think that's, there are elements of that that are pretty interesting to me outside of the, the romance between Alex and Ada. Like right. there's, there's questions of, um, yeah, it's very sci-fi, right? So there's the Android question and as well as the one that I find myself thinking about is, you know, this, the philosophy or there's the philosophical ask questions of it all, which is, well, if we truly believe that, you know, two people are falling in love based on personalities, well, what is a personality? But you know, impulses, electrical impulses, who's yeah. that, you know, an artificial, if there's an artificial, uh, artificially generated amount of impulses that is so random that it can, for all intents and purposes, stand in for a real personality, why, you know, what, why, why is that any different than, you know, falling in love with someone's personality, right? Right. And again, I don't advocate for that per se, but um, I do think, or I don't advocate for that necessarily, but I did think it was an added extra element to the story that I found very interesting to contemplate. I was going to draw like uh, some analogies since you mentioned um, some examples earlier that um, there was a movie that came out some years ago, I think 2013 or so, called her starring Joaquin Phoenix and exactly that's a by voice of Scarlett Johansson as this artificial intelligence that he that he falls in love with yeah but her her she's built to do that to give lonely people or apparently guys the the conversational company yeah but she then links up with another computer has a male personality and she falls in love with that artificial intelligence while Joaquin is pining for her because he doesn't know how to interact with other people. Yeah. And there's also that series that ended recently from the UK called Human, which explores the idea of artificial intelligence attaining ascensions and what does love mean between people and robots. Some is, uh, shows up a little bit in there. 
Um, I haven't read Alex and Ada, but it, it sounds like that these creative team is using Ada, which is commonplace in a lot of science fiction, of saying, this is a placeholder for um, the type of story of asking questions like, of, of the idea of socially, socially conquering what's considered to be forbidden love in a given social context. Mm. Like there was a period of time when if you're a white person dating a black person, that was, that was completely like criminal in certain communities. Um, during World War II, if yeah. a German person ever was found kissing a Jewish person, the, Jew the German person would be arrested, the Jewish person would, well, we know what happened to the Jewish people then. Mm. So this idea of what does one consider taboo or forbidden is, is socially based in different time periods. And it seems like she's just personifying this idea of forbidden love through every generation and they're just trying yeah. to out to That's survive. a really good point. That's a really and, good point. And have their love in, in whatever society that they're living yeah. in. I do think that, I do think there's a, t a certain type of reader that looks at that and says that that's too much for them. And well, which is, you know, which is fine. Eh? If that's how you want to like enjoy your uh, literature, like I, I would say that you can enjoy this just as a story of two people who who have a forbidden love and they are just trying to succeed in spite of the odds being against them. And, you know, I would, I, I personally get entertainment from thinking about these bigger questions, like, because that's just, it's, it's the added extra value of reading this comic. It also makes it worth reading again. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And if, yeah, but if there's someone who, who and I do know certain people who who might not uh, appreciate those uh, those nuanced levels. Uh, then again, just just treat it as a story where these two people ha have a constraint set upon them, and they are just trying to make their they're just trying to be with each other. And it's I and again, like the 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 thing that I would emphasize is that the way that they're written, their dialogue is believable. They're, there's real pain in, uh, in the way that they communicate their, their problems with each other. And uh, they go through the steps of what happens in relationships when these stresses are applied to them. You know, there's always, there's, it's not always the case of, Oh, it's us against the world, and we're going to be together no matter what. I mean, there's there's a lot of ups and downs that occur where, that force them to question, like whether it's worth it, and you know whether uh, they even want to be together or not. Um, the one thing that I wanted to mention was it, this is 15 issues long, so right at the beginning of the story when Ada shows up. She is a very um, she's a blank slate. huh? She's like a blank slate. She exactly. She's very much a blank slate. So when she shows up, um, he's Alex isn't even sure that he really wants her. There's a big part of him that's creeped out by the whole idea, but she's so human looking that he he can't bring himself to return her to the factory because they'll destroy her. So. He just keeps her around the house for a little while until he finds out that there's actually this underground of underground movement to 
activate the sentience in these uh, robots. So he goes and he decides to seek them out to, you know, this is maybe about five or six issues into the, the series before he decides, okay, I don't want her to be with me because she doesn't have the will or the choice to be with me. Like, I want her to have a real personality. And if that means that I'm risking her gaining attention and deciding not to be with me, then that is the decision that I'm going to have to live with. So, so again, this is 15 issues and they build it up. They build up their relationship over the course of 15 issues. And it's, it doesn't ever feel like it moves so fast where it's like, Oh, boom, boom, boom. Oh, she's, she's a robot and she has to love him. And then they gave her her sentience and now, you know, they're automatically in love. Like you, you really feel like you're going through the motions with them. Um, and I, that's, that's what I would recommend this comic for in addition to all that other philosophical and science fiction stuff. Mm-hmm. I was just based on your description just now, I was thinking like, it would be, I would actually kind of enjoy reading like another high level approach to this, which would be the twisted version of what happens when he activates her sentience where she rejects him <laughs> and he doesn't expect it. And out of his sense of human ego, the idea that a robot who was built by humans rejected him, yeah. where he'd go and start stalking her and trying to force her to love him. And so take that dark direction of like the idea, the idea like in a lot of people's relationships, certain people see their partner as a possession to them that they can control and force them to do things, That's force them to really love them. That's a interesting idea. Um, I mean, it's not a romance comic, but it's, it's a really many people, interesting in the idea. perspective, they see that as love is like, I, I love you. Therefore I, I kind of own you. We're married. We're yeah. like, you are mine. And you still hear this days. Like, it's like this, I, there's, there's a certain still degree of possessiveness of like, of like, Oh, she's mine or he's mine. It's just like, you can say that, he or she is your boyfriend or he or she is your wife. But when you say the phrase, he or she is mine, I am like, I know people still think this way, but it's just like, sorry, that does not, that does not click. If anybody ever said the phrase that I was theirs, I'd be like, no, we're not talking anymore. (laughs) I would, I would approach that person's partner and I'd be like, Hey, leave a note in the bathroom. If you want us to like save you. (laughs) (laughs) we want us to whisk you away from this situation because this person sounds a little deranged (laughs) because there are still people out there in the world who do experience things like this and in to an extent where their behavior becomes robotic because they're boxed into a situation where they only have a certain set of parameters in which they're allowed to operate like they're really forced to be like machines because they're told you can do this at this time you can only be here and they either don't know any better or they know better, but they don't know how to escape it. And so like they're trapped, like, like, like a mind trapped in a body that doesn't know how to go anywhere else. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's kind of the interesting like commentary aspect of this comic that you can only get away with because she's a robot, right? Where you can, there is a story out there that you can tell where you can say, see, we, this is how we treat, this thing that we love but you know in real life we have people that we treat like this what does that say about us right yeah 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 
Yeah, well, those are a lot of uh, really interesting concepts in, in hearing that. I actually had the pleasure of reading a little bit of Alex and Ada. I think I was over at, at your house, Drew. You had a copy of that sometime. Yeah. Um, and I got to read a little bit of it, but I never got to finish it. And I, I always did think it was kind of interesting. Um, hearing the whole story and how that's unfolded now, it's just uh, a lot of the topics and themes that it touches on are, are fascinating. Um, it does remind me a little bit, I don't know if you guys have ever seen um, the anime Appleseed, um, but I was a big fan of it for a while. Uh, so basically in this anime, there is a girl, the, the lead character, Dunin, who also is in love with well, her boyfriend's name is Briarios, but he started off as a human. He got into a bad accident. They're both soldiers. So his body basically got mangled and, and then he became this like cyborg android type type creature. So he's mostly, he's like 90% machine at that point. There's a little bit of, of his human self left, but for all intents and purposes, he's pretty much machine now. Yeah. Um, so a lot of, similar themes are sort of explored there and then obviously the classic uh, ghost in the shell where it's like well you know when you get to the point where you can no longer differentiate it's kind of like the turing test right where you can no longer differentiate if you're communicating with the human or not like if it's something that appears to be human at what point do we actually cross over and, and start legitimizing that as something that's on par with us in terms of consciousness or in Actual terms life. of yeah, life, life value. Um, I really like what Shanice was saying earlier uh, about, you know, exploring taboos and things like that. And I think sort of a flip side, um, I guess kind of the, a different side to the same coin is like exploring what we view as legitimacy. Like what is, what is a legitimate relationship or a legitimate um, way to, to love someone? Like what are our boundaries and, and things that you know, we think are, are good or okay within which to, to love someone. Like if someone fell in love with, with their car or their dishwasher, that would seem a little bit weird. But then you have this other story, right? Where it's, it's literally a machine, but it's a machine that mimics a human enough that we can start answering those questions. So it's, it's a very strange thing because it's kind of exploring like, you know, how far do we push, do we push that line, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And I do like the humanity that you're describing in, yeah. in all the characters that you're forced to kind of take this emotional journey with them without that emotional journey feeling like it's forced through the characters, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, you know what I just thought of, Zach? It's like, now that we're, we're we don't really have technology to the point of the world of this comic, but, but like with the rise of things like digital assistants and, uh, you know, Siri or Alexa or something, like people can try to talk to machines now, like vocally talk to them. And it would be weird to, to think that somebody would look to, uh, you know, programs like that to try and, and, and just be so emotionally invested in a program like Alexa or something to, to feel like they can have some kind of relationship that, that would be when you put it in in those terms it, it's it's pretty bizarre yeah well there was and that one video that i sent you that youtube video where they developed that 
that's right. hologram uh, that it was it was kind of like an was, assistant was it a but it hakane was a, mitsu or something like that what was i don't it even remember but it was um it was an anime character that was a hologram assistant but it was also meant to act as your almost like a girlfriend to you so it would message you throughout the day hatsune and, miku that's what it's called what was that yeah so it would message you throughout the day well no actually the thing i think the thing i'm thinking of might be something different i forgot what it was called but i i know the one you're talking about too where didn't they in japan didn't they sell like certificates where people could marry her <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's yeah. that is bizarre yeah that's that's a little bit creepy yeah. that's a little yeah bit too that's much also japan and it's also <laughs> super sad <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty yeah. pathetic yeah um i did want to bring attention to saravon's art uh i mean jonathan luna's art Oh yeah, that's true. I guess because uh, he was credited as, as the writer. And okay, you're right. Jonathan Luna's art. Sorry about that. Um, but he did co-write it with Sarah Vaughn. Um, yeah. But I would say it's pretty straightforward. It's not anything where um, the way that he draws people are exaggerated. Like everyone, everyone's pretty normal looking. You know, it's it's. Uh, I would say he's got, I think the strength of his art is really his uh, panel to panel storytelling. Like his, it's it's not a dense comic and a lot of the emotions and a lot of the the thinking is that's going on is being told from like panel to panel. You know, you're as you're watching uh, one scene to another and you're just watching, you know, how he contemplates his decision making, like, you know, making tough choices, uh, things like that. Um, so it's, it's, I like the way that he draws his figures, but I, I like the way that he does his panel to panel storytelling. Like, I think it, it adds a lot to the pacing of it. He knows how to do his pacing. And for a story like this, I do think that pacing is important in order for you to feel like the passage of time is realistic and in order for you to understand that or or in order for you to feel like their their world is moving at a reasonable pace and developing and their emotions and are developing at a reasonable pace as well i mean i was gonna say like you told us earlier that the the main male character at least he doesn't take his he doesn't take his robot her to get sentience until issue five or so yeah, exactly. Out of 15 issues, if you're going to spend a third of them with her not having sentience, so therefore you couldn't qualify them as having developed a true relationship yet, you you better have a good pacing to convince us that this can develop over the next 10 totally, issues. Totally. While they face these other challenges they're running away from, you know? Yeah. There's a lot to handle that. So like That's totally true. Like it even though 15 issues isn't a lot, like a lot happens over the course of the 15 issues where you really feel like, oh, this is from the point where he gets her out of a box to the point where he, like, they are in love with each other and running away from the law. Like, you, it, it feels like it's reasonable enough pacing where it's like, there's no point where you're reading it and going, how did that happen so quick? 
what is up with that? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, he has so, a, the artwork is, is done a really clean line type of style makes. Yeah. It's interesting how that affects the tone of the work because everything is so clean and it makes the world look really sterile. And that's just kind of the world they inhabit where it's like when they go into to buildings or even like the, like the uh, virtual mindscapes, like they're all like really clean, like white it's walls, like everything is an Apple straight store. lines. Yeah, it's like everything's an Apple store. Yeah, it's, it's the opposite of cyberpunk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, which is another interesting contrast because this is a very cyberpunk kind of tale in terms of maybe not necessarily the romantic element, but in terms of all the stuff you were discussing earlier with the, um, with the philosophical aspects and the, even the social aspects of the story. I think one of the things that st stood out to me uh, in, with Alex Placeda was, was uh, a lot of those philosophical questions about um, androids that get explored in a lot of these types of stories. You know, it's, it's always about... I guess the Terminator. <laughs> yeah, maybe. What are you going to say? Sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say that a, a lot of these uh, science fiction stories that I enjoyed do have something to say about exploring what it means to be human. You know, just that fundamental question. It, it seems like it's such a simple question to ask, but a very complicated question to answer. And creative people can just take that one element and build all sorts of countless stories around that concept. And with Alex Placeda, I think for me, when you, you got into the, the social aspects of forbidden love and, and the taboo nature of, of uh, the title character's relationship. But for me, I, I think what stood out uh, initially was that idea of what, what does it mean to be human? How do you develop um, individuality? Like that whole idea, that whole story arc, or that 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 whole subplot um, that's actually pretty important to the story is that is uh, when when they discover uh, I guess it's like a virtual cafe or a virtual message board where they can meet up with other AIs that are growing in sentience and and you know breaking free of the shackles that that allow them to have like actual individuality and, and freedom of thought and, and action. And once they start discovering that, uh, those characters, like the whole story kind of takes on a, a life of its own where they get embroiled in not only the, the consequences of unshackling Ada's intelligence, but also um, how that, how, how those consequences uh, not only affect their relationship, but how they also affect like what happens to them because you know they're they're technically breaking the law and doing illegal stuff. So now it's it's more than just the taboo of of your neighbor looking at at uh, Alex and it's more than the taboo of the neighbor just looking at Alex like uh, he's with an android that that is disgusting. But it's not now. It's like oh uh, they're doing something that. You're actively illegal. disobeying the law. Yeah, the cops are, detectives are gonna investigate them and come after them, and and it 
that gets that part gets kind of intense. Yeah. It also kind of reminds me a little bit of this other anime I watched. Uh, called it's called Time of Eve, and Time of Eve was probably from like 2010 or something like that, maybe 10 years ago, and it had a similar idea. It wasn't a romantic story, but it was still a story about these androids who were slowly developing uh, self-awareness, and what they would do is they would they would they lived as these basically like servants or or possessions of you know human people to, to help do their chores or be their housekeeper or whatever but when they weren't needed by their human overlords they had the ability to just you know go outside and and there was an underground or not not literally underground but but a hidden cafe that that served um as a meeting spot androids so these androids could meet and you know talk about what it was like to basically be an android and and as that continued on they developed individuality and and personalities and uh you know even had a desire to to be free you know um and that i, th- I thought that aspect of of alex placeda was very similar to time of eve because there was also in that movie there was also uh, a sense of I guess political unrest because in the past some some androids had developed their uh, freedoms and and ended up causing a lot of harm to to humans. So like two very similar concepts, but um, executed in different ways. Yeah, I was going to mention before Drew brought it up is like my follow up to my earlier remark about the idea of like forbidden relationships was. Oftentimes in a lot of science fiction stories, what involves like androids or some of that, you know, like Blade Runner is the whole question, like, what is it like, Drew said, like, what does it mean to be human? But in a lot of those cases, it's a broad sense of science fiction perspective. So there's different elements of like the question of what does it mean to be human, to have independent thought, um, feeling, um, the idea of like, the sense of self-preservation and sense of self-identity, like of, of, kind of looking in the mirror and saying, this is me looking back at myself. But since Alex Placeda is, I think the angle is more relationship and romance based. It's kind of, I think, addressing the perspective of like, isn't it enough to call something human if, if it can love? Mm-hmm. Like, if it can acknowledge and understand what love is, doesn't, isn't that itself a human? More so like even beyond an animal's behavior of communication of love, like one that can be tangibly communicated to us that we ourselves can understand. So it's literally a robot facing thing expressed love and we can understand that it knew what it meant and it was genuine. We don't understand the barks of dogs, the males of cats. Maybe they're telling us they love us, but we don't know. But this thing can actualize a voice and tell us in distinct words we know, mm-hmm. loving things, yeah. then would that not kind of question that put in the fourth, like that it, is, it, is, it, is it not worth preserving and having and respecting? Yeah, and I think questions like that and thoughts like that give Alex Placeda greater depth than your typical uh, romance comic. It's so, not but, schlocky. Yeah. <laughs> is it Alex plus Ada or Alex and Ada? And plus. plus? I, don't, I don't know how they pronounce it. Like on, on the cover, it's styled with a plus symbol. Well, because yeah. I know that sometimes you, the plus is used as a way of saying like the like as a replacement for the word and. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense because it's and while 
being a operational symbol that computers can understand. Yeah, it's it's it probably is pronounced Alex and Ada. I'm sure that's how most people pronounce it, but I ain't most people, man. <laughs> I'm individual. I'm unique. <laughs> and you ain't can, no other yeah. like me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very good, very good. That was a good conversation. Thanks for listening to Between the Gutters, the podcast where we talk about the stories within the panels. We'll be back next week with part two of our romance comic book recommendations. Next time, we'll have our recommendations from Zach and me. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. Peace.